All right. So today we are in John chapter 6. And Jesus has been healing all kinds of people. Jesus has been going all over the place, preaching all kinds of stuff. And more and more people are following him. And they're not just figuratively following him like, I follow Jesus. Where is he? I don't know, but I follow him. No, they're literally following him. They're going town to town. And it's a crowd. It says there are about 5,000 men. And so some historians estimate that there could have been as many as 20,000 people in this crowd following him. So to put that on a scale, that's more than the whole Ford Center full. Okay, we, we, don't, we don't have anything in, I don't know how many of the Wrights Bowl holds, but we don't have anything in Evansville that holds this many people. So if you can imagine it, just this big crowd. Uh, the, other, the other thing to note is that infrastructure is different. So roads, you know, trespassing and going onto people's property is kind of the norm. The, there are roads that are built in this time, but then there's also all kinds of countryside where, um, I mean, if you can imagine like going up to Washington, Indiana, but there aren't any fences, there aren't any ditch borders, that kind of thing. It's just open, open, open. So if you have that many people and it's just open, 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 um, you can see how this crowd is moving along. So they're on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and they're in kind of hill country. It's kind of hilly, and, and it's, not, it's not desert. It's also not forest, okay? So it's, I mean, really, if you picture, like, the drive up to Washington, Indiana, it's more like that than you would think, except it's not cornfields. Let's look at verse 3. Jesus went up the mountain. There he sat down with his disciples. And now the Pasto, Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. So that, whenever it says something like that, it's not on accident, okay? So John says, the Passover is at hand. That's when you perk up and you think, okay, whatever is about ready to happen is happening in the context of the Passover, okay? So the Passover is at hand. They go along. Lifting up his eyes then, seeing a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we going to buy bread so these people can eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. So here's Philip, and Jesus knows what he's going to do, but he tests Philip. Okay, so I said earlier, if we had communion at the beginning, it'd be like giving you the test before we had the class, right? The whole point of a test is to see where you are, to see if you're learning stuff. How are you doing, right? You go in to the, the doctor and they do a bunch of tests on you. They don't do all those tests to decide, well, you're not human, so we'll see you later. You can't come here. You've got to go to the vet. No. They do tests to see how you're doing, what the progress is. And so Jesus knows what he's going to do. 
So he checks to see what progress has Philip made. How is he doing here? What's he thinking about? And Philip, the way he thinks, we had uh, a denarii is about a day's wage. So he's basically saying, you could work for 200 days and not even have enough bread to feed all these people. He's thinking negative. He's thinking discouragement. He's thinking of how impossible is this? Let's, let's come up with, with an example to express how hopeless this is. Let's come up with an example to figure out how impossible this is. And, I mean, I'm not going to get real far into commentary on that, but where are we with that, right? Are we, are we people that are disposed to come up with examples of how terrible things are or how hopeless a scenario is? Are we predisposed to that negative kind of thinking of as soon as we see something, here's how hard it's going to be, and I'm going to lay out examples for you how hard it is going to be? That's, that's Philip and Jesus right here. Jesus knows what he's going to do. Philip knows Jesus is the most powerful person he's ever seen, he's ever heard of. And Jesus says, where are we going to get bread for all these people? And Philip takes that. It's so He doesn't just say it's impossible. He, he uh, lists out ways. Let me just tell you how impossible this is, Jesus. We could work for 200 days and we still wouldn't have enough food for all those people. We could say that Philip failed the test, but it's not a pass-fail thing. It's just checking to see, just like you test brownies, right? You check the brownies and you pull the toothpick out and there's scum on it because it's not done cooking. You don't throw out the brownies and say, these fail, these aren't brownies. That would be terrible. Terrible, I say. So, he says that. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many people? You gotta wonder, at what point is Jesus just gonna give up, right? You guys, come on. He's a little bit closer. This is Andrew. Andrew's a little bit closer because... He has, okay, 200, Philip, 200 days wages wouldn't even feed all these people. Andrew, there's a kid here with some food, but it's not enough. He's just a little bit closer. Jesus hears all this, and he says, have the people sit down. Sit everybody down. There's a whole bunch of grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves. So the kid gives his bread. When he gave thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments so nothing will be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had been, from those who had been eaten. So he has everybody sit down. Five thousand men, because they only counted men back in that day. Pass out all this. He gives thanks and he passes out all this food. The fish, 
were probably like pickled herring. They were probably like sardines. These were not, um, you know, this is not like a delicious catfish from Major Munch. That was not sponsored plug there. But these were not good fiddlers. These were like little dried, you know, preserved fish. Barley loaves were the poor person's bread. This is, this is kind of like Wonder Bread that you bought at the, the bread thrift shop that's about to go bad. It was not the finest. It, it, uh, well-to-do people had bread made with wheat. Poor people had bread made with barley. So you got the... I mean, it's not delicious, right? It's not high cuisine, but it's enough to feed everybody, and it's enough for everybody to get something to eat. Not only that, it's enough for 12 baskets of leftovers. They didn't even, like, catch that. They didn't even start with as much as they had when they had leftovers, right? Because five loaves and three fish wouldn't even half fill a basket. Well, it goes on. We're going to kind of loop around here. Then evening came. Oh, hold on. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. They get in the boat. This whole thing happens. It's not the long played out Peter walk on the water. It's just a real short one. The next day, all the people get in their boats. They realize Jesus is gone. They get in their boats and they head over to the closest port because they figured he probably did that too. Verse 22, on the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side saw that there had only been one boat there. Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. So they know there's something weird going on with the boat traffic, right? Other boats came. They all go over. They see Jesus is not there. And they catch up with him over at Capernaum. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Friendly enough question, right? They don't care. They're not asking because they care. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You guys are all hungry again. That's why you're tracking me down. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? He says, Don't work for food that fails. Work, work for Jesus. Follow, follow the Son of Man. And they say, Okay, we'll do it. What do we need to do? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. Believe in him. Then they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work will you perform? Because I'm hungry. That stuff you gave us yesterday is gone. And we're hungry again. They do. Our fa- this is verse 31. Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. What, what sign are you going to give us that we should believe in you, Jesus? Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses 
who gave you the bread from heaven. But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They didn't catch it. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread all the time. Feed us with it. And then he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So he's explaining to them, they all want, they just want a whole nother manna thing to happen again. They want to have food come down from heaven every day and everything taken care of and we'll never be hungry again. You're the prophet, you're the king, give it to us and we'll believe in you. And Jesus is saying, this has nothing to do with your grumbling bellies. This has to do with whether you're going to live or die on an eternal scale with all of life. Well, there's, there's a bunch of really cool things about this whole event and the manna that fell in the wilderness and what Jesus is doing and the work of Jesus in the world and how he's revealing himself and what he's revealing. And it's not too weird to compare it to manna, to compare the bread and the fish to manna because they are already comparing the bread and the fish to manna, right? They're already doing that. But here's where things get a little bit different. You know, early in John, it said that through, through Moses, God gave the law. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So when manna fell, manna fell down. They'd, they'd wake up in the morning and it would be all over everything like dew. And it was like a powder. It was like cornmeal. And you had to collect it. And you had to work it and make it into stuff. You had to grind it up. It was like really coarse cornmeal, I guess. And, um, and then you had to cook it. And you had to cook it into things and cook it into food. And then you had to store it because it would come in the morning and that would be your food all day long. And then on the Sabbath, the day before the Sabbath, you would collect double and you could store it. And that was the only day of the week that you could store it. And it wouldn't go bad, but every other day of the week, if you stored it, you'd wake up in the morning and there'd be all this fresh manna all over the place and all your manna that you saved would be full of maggots. How nasty is that? But the one day of the week on the Sabbath, when you wake up and your stored jar of manna would still be fresh because God wanted you to rest and not have to go out and collect all of this. So here's the manna. You, ha you have to work for it. You have to wait for it in the morning. You have to go out and get it. You have to prepare it. You have to cook it. So you have to have a fire going to cook the manna with. You have to have all these other tools. What happened with the bread and the fish? Jesus said, tell everybody to sit down. Sit down in the grass. And he brought it to them. And it was freely given. And it required no work. There was no work needed. Take and eat. There's no work here. There's no buying. There's no purchasing. Guess what? I'm Jesus. I don't owe you anything. And you don't owe me anything. I'm freely giving you this food. I'm freely giving this to you that you don't have to work for. Manna was given as a response. Isn't that wild? If you go back and you read about manna, manna was not given 
Like, hmm, I need to feed these people. Bling! Manna. The people went out into the wilderness and it says they grumbled against God. And they said, God, the only reason you brought us out here was to starve us to death. They forgot about the Red Sea. They forgot about... God could have killed all of them during the first plague. Or the second plague. Or the third plague. Or the fourth plague. Or the fifth plague. Or the sixth plague. Or the seventh plague. Or the eighth plague. Or the ninth plague. Or the tenth plague. Right? He didn't want to just kill them. But they all grumbled. So in response to that grumbling, God sends manna. The people that were following Jesus had no expectation at all. They had no idea what was about ready to happen. He had healed people. He had worked miracles. He had taught like nobody had ever taught before. And now he's telling everybody to have a seat. Oh, good. We're not going to be walking for a little bit. We can rest. What? What do you got, guy? Oh, bread and fish? Yeah, sure. Here, guys. Have bread and fish. Oh, you have more? Can I have seconds? Can I have thirds? Everybody ate their fill. It was given to them before they asked for it, before they grumbled about it. It was forgiven, so to speak. And then what would happen day two? of manna day two of manna they would all wake up and there it was and they started to expect it and they started to rely on it there were some people that would save it get gather too much and keep it overnight and that's when the maggots would come and all that business but as they lived in the wilderness and they get the law and they say okay moses we're going to do the law you keep giving us the manna deal deal got it but the bread and the fish were a complete surprise it wasn't until this second day when they came and they were like, oh, give us a good reason to believe in you because my stomach's growling. And I want to eat food that I don't have to work for. I don't care if, I, if it's barley, loaves, and fish for the rest of my life. If I never have to go to work again, just hang out in the desert, hang out in the grassy fields. They expected it. They demanded it. But that very first time, it was completely unexpected. It was a complete gift of grace. Well, all of these things are showing how Jesus is fulfilling the law. That fulfilling the law, the, the same word that Jesus uses numerous times when he says, I came to fulfill the law. That's the same word you would use if you went out fishing and you filled your net up all the way. We have fulfilled the net. Isn't that wild? So when Jesus says, I've fulfilled the law, everything that the law needed to be filled up, to be finished with, to be satisfied, Jesus did. And since he fulfilled the law, you no longer have to work for your manna. You never have to work for, for what's going to sustain you. Jesus is what's going to sustain you. You don't have to work for it. You no longer have to uh, you know, grumble for it and ask for it. He's already given you forgiveness. This, this, this whole idea that went around for a while that you were only forgiven the sins that you asked forgiveness for, that's law. 
That's total law. That's not forget. If I have to, if I'm only forgiven it, if I ask for it, then it's depending on me to remember it, to ask for forgiveness for it. And there's nowhere in the scriptures that 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 that's expressed. It says if we confess our sins, he's quick to forgive. But that doesn't mean don't read into it what it's not saying. It doesn't mean that if we can't remember some of them, those aren't forgiven. When Jesus died on the cross for our sins, it says in Hebrews, he died once and for all for all sin. And so just like the manna was given as a response to grumbling. As the law was given as a response to how can we work to get close to you, God? The bread and the fish at Passover was given to us to show Jesus is the bread of life. And he comes fully cooked. No work needed. No gathering needed. We don't have to go out and get him and gather him up in the morning. He says, sit down here in the grass. I will come to you. I will deliver you. I will satisfy you. I will fill you. He says, they found him on the other side of the sea. They're arguing with him. Verse 27, do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. He's not talking about food, right? He's talking poetically in metaphor and simile, saying don't work for your salvation. Don't work for your own righteousness to satisfy you. Work for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. God has approved. God has, has shown that he is behind Jesus. And so don't follow him because of all the miracles. Don't follow him because of the wise teaching. Follow him because he is God's man. He is God's sent one. And don't, the, the other thing he says here is, remember who's in charge. You know, sometimes our kids will say, clean up your room. And they'll say, if I clean up my room, can I have a mint? Can I have a piece of gum? And now all of a sudden there's this negotiation going on. There was never a negotiation in the first place. Clean your room. Now, are we harsh and mean? No, because I got a whole bag of cotton candy sitting here. And we're going to do much better than a mint. We're going to eat cotton candy, but gosh, we cannot eat the cotton candy when your room's a mess like that. God's the same way. Sometimes we want to turn it into a negotiation. But if we just love and follow Jesus just for who he is, because of who he is, as he is, he's got all kinds of plans that he wants to accomplish. He's got all kinds of desires that he wants to do. And he didn't, I mean, there's this lake, this giant lake. It's like seven miles wide. It doesn't stand in his way. He sends those guys across. There's a big old storm. He just walks across it. No big deal. Gets into the boat and all of a sudden they're at the shore. He, he's not going to be stopped by something like that. He's not going to be stopped by, well, if we work for 200 days, we wouldn't even have enough food for all these people. 
He's like, well, that's no big deal. That's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about how hard you have to work. We're not talking about how hard, how hopeless the situation is and, and how you need to find seven reasons why this is impossible, Andrew, Peter. The other thing that's awesome, this, and this continues with the theme, when Jesus turned the water into wine, and he does it here, is that they gave Jesus all they had. They turned it all over to Jesus. What would, it, what would have happened if that kid would have said, I've got five loaves of bread and three fish, and you can have two? We don't, we don't know, because that's not what happened. The kid gave it all. And, and how awesome would it have been, I think I told this story before, this kid's poor, right? I mean, you would be poor if you had pickled herring and Wonder Bread in your bag. That's basically what he has. And he goes home with a basket. We don't know what happened, but Jesus says, gather up all these baskets. There's 12 baskets of bread. Somebody had to go home with it. Somebody had to take it. Can you imagine that kid coming home to his mom and being like, look, boom, lunch for a week. Sure, it's barley bread and fish, but that's all we eat around here anyway. He gave it all. He gave it all to him. What if those guys, when they filled up the water pots with water for Jesus to turn into wine, what if they would have filled them all halfway up? Then they'd have all this really good wine, but it's only that much. Now they filled it up all the way. These guys, they were not negotiating with Jesus. The, the people that passed the test in here, in this whole section, they were fully with him. Somebody want to go get the Sunday school kids? Thank you. I'm glad I remembered that. That was important. Um, we're going to continue in John 6 next week. And I want to continue this whole idea of surrendering to Jesus fully for who he is. Not out of what we get from him. Not as a negotiation. Because he has shown us grace, and if we want to negotiate, we'll lose. That, that's really the real truth of it, is that if we want to negotiate that we can offer him anything, if we want to bargain that we have, we have anything to offer the God of the universe, um, it's kind of, it seems kind of silly and ridiculous, right? I... Um, so I worked at Crossroads from 99 to 2004, and I was in the media team. And I would, we set up, the, we were the first people to have cameras. You know, we, we bought the cameras and hooked all the cameras up so you can video the people and put them up on the screens. And we've got in all this new equipment. We had the first moving lights that were there, and we programmed all that, and we did all this stuff. And uh, recently I was there um, looking at all this equipment, and the projector, the projector used to be just slightly smaller than a Plymouth Horizon. And twice a year, we would crank it down with this winch and we'd lay out these giant two by fours and we'd pull out this $60,000 lens that was like this big and you couldn't touch it with your bare hands and all this business. Now it's like tiny, you know, suitcase projector, super cheap and all that. But we're out there and I'm seeing all this stuff and I think for a minute, ooh, I wonder if they need my help. Because 
19 years ago, I knew how to work these things. <laughs> 19 years ago, I was the expert. And they would just laugh at me, right? So as you continue through John 6, just consider how laughable it is that we would offer something to God, that we would negotiate with Him, that we would try to manipulate Him with our offering because what He offers us is so much better. So, this brings us to Passover. And the fact that all this happened during Passover, the feeding of the 5,000 people was an act of celebrating Passover. And so, you know how, as soon as we start to think about Christmas, and you see something red and green, you know it has to do with Christmas, right? Because you have Christmas on your mind. We use red and green for stoplights all the time, year-round, but nobody ever looks at a stoplight and thinks Christmas, right? So it's Passover. So when Jesus feeds the 5,000, it's Passover. So they're all thinking about Passover. Passover is on their mind. And they're all thinking... God's going to deliver us from the Romans. God's going to deliver us from all of our problems. And so when he passes out all of that food to all those people, it's like manna. And everybody has plenty to eat, and everybody gets full. Everybody's like, wow, this is miracle food. Well, on the night before he died, it was also Passover. And Jesus had already fed 5,000 people, and in another time he fed 7,000 people. And every time he said, I am the bread of life. I am the miracle food. Whoever eats of me, whoever eats me will not die. But we have no written record of Peter grabbing Jesus by the heel and biting into his leg. Which would have been very awkward, right? Because that's not what he was talking about. He was talking about his life and his death. So when we eat the bread, Jesus said, this is the, 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 my flesh, this is my body broken for you. Eat it. That's his life. That's, that's everything he lived for, everything he did in his life that was broken at the end. He did. And then the blood was the blood that he shed. We sung about it earlier. The, the blood that he bled when he hurt and he was injured and died on the cross for our sins. That when we drink that, we're participating in a covenant. You guys, you know, you go to a wedding and they lift up the toast and they say a whole bunch of things and then everyone drinks together. That drinking together, we were at this wedding last night and I was struck, they were real, they were real concerned. Everybody get a drink. Did you get your drink? Do you have your cup? Do you have your drink? Do you have your cup? Everybody. The bar is probably close. Get your drink. Get your drink. Get your cup. Because when you drink it, you're saying, yes, I agree with that toast. That person just made that toast. They just said all that stuff. And then they say, here, here. And you drink. And that's, I mean, basically the history of it. You're covenanting yourself to agree that that toast is right. And so Jesus said, this is the blood of a new covenant, and when you drink it, you're saying, yes, Jesus, I want in on that new covenant. So with all of that, um, we're going to pass it out, and then we'll talk for a second and pray, and then we'll...
Then at the end of the meal, he said, this is my blood, the blood of a new and everlasting covenant poured out for you. God bless you as you drink. Lord God, thank you so much for the way that you have freely welcomed us to your table. The way that you have freely paid in advance for our sins. The way that you have freely given all of yourself fully to us and for us. And the way that your Holy Spirit guides us every day. Thank you so much for your mercy and your grace and your presence, Lord. Amen. So church... Be hungry this week. Jesus wants to feed you the bread of life, which is him, and he wants to give it to you freely. God bless you.